message I put there, but I just want to play this because it's so important that we understand that we are all chosen. But I want you to look at the vastness and the beauty. Every human that the Lord, only God can give life, right? Only God can give life. And every soul that he creates, he chose. I don't care what their circumstance is. I don't care what they have done, what they are doing. But they started out chosen. Can you just agree with that? And I want you to say to yourself, I am chosen. I am chosen. Your mom didn't decide that you were going to come from heaven and earth. Your father didn't decide that. Now they can determine whether you enter this earth or not, but they didn't choose you, right? God chose you. And that's a freeing thing when you've been born to parents that didn't probably love you at the degree that they should have, or if you've been in a cruel world where you didn't have the opportunity to know them or to know them to the full, but what you are chosen. You are chosen. That's one of the beauties, I think, of the faith. And I, I just want to read some of these scriptures to you to reiterate that. Mm. One of my favorites is Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Can you see that? Before your mother ever conceived you. You were already chosen. And we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks because we have people that will say things like, why am I here? What is the purpose of life? I don't want to be here anymore. It's not your decision that you're here anyway. It's God's decision. And for believers, that's something that we really need to get in our hearts. We really need to get in our hearts. Everyone next to you, whether you like them or not, were chosen. Everyone. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, in Ahava, covenant, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Even saying, even though he, he chose us beforehand, He's already got a plan in the way to make sure you are adopted. But all of those plans, you know, are, are, are in our ability to say yes and amen. We have to choose him. And it says according to the good pleasure of his will. It never said because he wants us to work, because he wants us to toil day and night, because he wants us to be perfect. It says because of his will, his desire, his desire. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I remember sometimes when we're giving our testimony, we're always talking about the day I got saved. Well, according to God, you were already saved. You just needed to acknowledge it and know it and confess it. Now there is that you have to confess. <laughs> And you have to acknowledge and you have to receive. But as according to him, he, he came here to give you that. 
You did not choose Jesus. You did not choose him, but he chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. You need to be convinced that you were born to be fruitful. You were born to be fruitful. If you're not fruitful, it's not God's fault. Are you following? To be chosen is to be chosen in the midst of a perfect plan. That's the point here. To be chosen is to recognize that you're a part of a process bigger than you. Bigger than you. To be chosen is to understand that you have a role in eternity. Oh my God. Wow. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would be a legacy. That your fruit would be a lineage. And he's not just talking about having children. He's talking about impact. Life-changing impact. You doing something so significant in one person's life that they are never the same again. You can change their course. Every single person is chosen for that type of opportunity. First Peter 2 and 9, he makes sure that we know it's not all about me and my anointing. And what God is doing in my life. He said, but you are a chosen generation. Everyone who is alive right now, not an age group, but from the infant to the person hitting their 100th birthday. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I want to make an, a, a, an announcement here. It's the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Not the priesthood of Moses, not the priesthood of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God. It's the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The priesthood of Jesus Christ, which is of a different order. Very important. A holy nation. His own special people that, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, my goodness. Being chosen means that by default, you're a priest in a royal priesthood. By default, a part of a holy nation of people, not just you, on your own island. By default, his whole design for you being chosen is, look, not an option, but he's bringing you, he's brought you out of darkness into light. One of the things I love about studying the life of Jesus is that we go from death to life. The world system is about life and death. But we live in the realm of death to life. If you didn't know your worth yesterday and you had an epiphany today, you've just moved from death to life. If you didn't know your purpose yesterday and you know your purpose today, you have moved from death to life. If you were hopeless this morning when you woke up and you have hope right now, you have moved from death to life. 
But as God raises us up and builds us up, each and every moment is a transition from dead places to living places. I gave you the garden two weeks ago. And it talked to us about how we grow. But here we have Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. But loving God isn't an emotion, right? We have to understand that to love God is to obey him. So if we think it's an emotion and it's all about our tears, we've missed what God has come to do. I'm not saying he's emotionless, but that's not what drives him. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we already know that he chose us. We already know that he chose us that we should be holy and without blame before him, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So now we hear him saying, not only did I choose you, but I called you. Let me say this again. He called all of us. I want to say it again. He called all of us. But what grieves me today is that we think a calling is defined by a gift. It's not. Do you know that your calling is not your gift? It's not. Oh, God called me as a prophet. That's a that's a that's a office, a vocation, a position that you will uphold, but that's not what a calling is. Not what a calling is. I'm a teacher and I teach K through three. K through third grade. That's just what you do, right? It's not who you are. That is a vocation in the world system. But in the spiritual system, a vocation is not the same in that sense because it's divine. You follow what I'm saying? It's divine. Divine. Meaning it's directly from him into you for his chosen purpose. You might have a calling, but is it divine? Nothing's wrong with having a calling. Some people call to, to, to do a lot of things. Paint, draw, do poetry. But I need to have a divine call. What is the divine calling behind that? Is it just a gift? Because if that's what you think, we've missed God. Oh, my God. So, Because when we can put a title on something, we can make ourselves better than everybody around us. But if we understand what a calling is, it makes us all brothers. It makes us all same in his love. It makes us a he chose us, not a he chose me. Oh, my goodness. We've got to teach this because people have perverted their own callings, thinking there's something when we're all the same. We're not same in authority. We're not same in capacity. We're not the same in power. But we are the same as brethren and sisters in Christ. Man, man, man. From for whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What? That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. As we move forward in this teaching, we're going to dissect that. But I want you to keep saying, I'm called according to his purpose, not my own. Wow. We have to move from death to life because life is in Christ, not in your thing. I'm telling you, there are many things I want to do, and it wasn't this. <laughs> wasn't this. Wasn't this. It would shock you to know how, how much ministers wrestle with their calling because they know it's not them. 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, Who has saved us and called us with the holy calling? Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Do you see this? He just said what I told you a minute ago. It's very hard in this generation to let people know that they are not the it. That even though you have a great gift, even though you are young, even though you think you're pretty, even though everybody loves you, it's not enough if you don't know his purpose. A lot of people know their purpose, and they're not lying to you. That is their agenda. But the calling and being chosen places a demand on us to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm here to serve you, not serve myself. You'll know why I'm talking about this in a little bit. I don't believe, with, believe in William Ellery Channing's overall theology. So if you look him up, I'm not in agreement with his belief on Jesus Christ. You'll see why, but there's a lot of good stuff he has. And this is one of the scriptures that I enjoy because somehow people in our generation think they're the only ones that were ever prophetic and prophesying, I, you know. They forget that the early church was born that way. And it didn't stop just because we can do it now and we everywhere. <laughs> but listen, this is what he said. He said, we believe that God never contradicts in one part of scripture what he teaches in another. And he never contradicts in revelation what he teaches in works and providence. This is so critical. In other words, God is not confused. And this is what I put here because I wanted to make sure I said it the way I wanted to say it. Sometimes we have to study the language of God. We have to study how it's used, search history and scripture, observe, observe the story that is taking place in, the culture, the patterns, view different theologies, observe methods and processes, or get to know the people of scripture to uncover truly what something means. You know, when we say certain words today, just 30 years ago, they didn't mean the same thing. Do you realize that, listen, and I remember 
uh, listening to New Edition when I was about 12, 13, you know, they were singing all of their songs and, you know, you're doing all the dances. And I'm thinking even that language is different today. Oh, my God. But you won't understand that language outside of the culture of that time. There was a song Janet Jackson sang called Let's Wait a While. It's irrelevant today. They laugh at that song. But in the time that that song was written, it had meaning. It had purpose. Are you following? So what's the purpose today of a thing? That's what we have to come to understand. And when we're dealing with scripture, we have to look at the original meaning. And then we have to look at the world we live in and say, my God, how does this apply to me right now? Well, how does this make sense? Because if the scripture is contradicting itself, it just means we have to study until we have understanding. We have to gain clarity. There are things I've asked God about that it took a decade to get the answer to. I had to live it. There was no other way I could have gotten that answer. I had to live it. I had to see it. I had to witness it for myself because what mama said made no sense back then. I thought I knew. Scripture is the same way. Listen, there are so many constructs that shape our belief, including our own cultural influence on a a national, regional, state, and even a personal level. We often filter revelation through that lens. You can't help it. There's no perfect understanding of anything because it's all coming through um, that particular place in our lives, whatever that experience is. Do you believe this? I put this here because when you're looking at, I don't know, yeah, hold on. I want you to just watch this water. Do you believe this? Do you believe revelation and, and understanding the Bible is a process, a construct? What you believe five minutes ago, you could change (laughs) your mind in the next five minutes. Well, it's like this ocean. And if you're ever standing in front of an ocean, sometimes you can't see its ending. You don't know where it cuts off at. All you know is that you're in this place of this ocean. So I want us to see revelation and grow spiritual growth from this perspective, because if you're growing, you're not going to get stuck. My mentor told me one time, she said, she said, you know why we have all these denominations? I said, no. She said, because everybody found a revelation and they stopped. And they never moved past that one understanding that they received. And then they try to unify around it, thinking that their revelation is supreme. But the truth of God is that, listen, chosen people of a chosen generation must constantly be teachable. (laughs) So in Jewish thought, the concept of being chosen by God is bound by a concept of covenant. And the world system is not like that. But remember, the whole Bible is from a Hebraic perspective. So we have to consider that when we're reading 
They're thinking, oh my goodness, everything is covenant. Everything is covenant. Everything is covenant. Everything is covenant. But here in the Western world, everything is individual. I want you to think about that. Can you see that? My calling, my purpose, my ministry, my way, highway, your way, this way. Everything is individual. God is a covenantal God, not just him making a covenant with you, but with the chosen generation. And they consider it a binding agreement between God and his people. And remember, we're no longer following the God of Moses anymore. We're no longer following the God of Abraham. The God, all of them had different revelations of who God was. The God of Abraham. The God of, of, of Noah. All of them had a, they lived from a revelation of God that they had. But all of us, corporately, the whole world, has been given the opportunity for a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's not the God of anybody. Except everybody. Are you following? So when we evoke the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're limiting our potential. Not wrong to do it. You're not going to, nothing's going to happen to you. You're just not going to go any further than they did. This is why we have to grow. The Hebrew word for chosen is the word used to describe God's choice of Israel as his chosen people. This was in the old covenant. Being chosen is seen as a great privilege and, listen, a responsibility, not an opportunity to shine. See, the chosen people of this generation are like the world more than they are like the people that God desires. Being chosen is seen as a privilege. Oh, my God, the God of all creation has chosen me. We need to be excited about that. What a great responsibility, a weight on me, a weight on me. We're not thinking like that. Being chosen is, involves a commitment to living according to God's commandments and fulfilling his purposes. Oh, my God, I've seen people be more covenantal to a man or a woman than they would ever think to be covenant with God. They will chase somebody who treats them like crap to, all, to the ends of the earth but can't make the exchange, can't flip it to understand what God is desiring of them. But how awesome it is for two people, best friends, parents, um, a, a couple, whatever, to come together and be chasing God because of the understanding of privilege and responsibility. That's what community is about. That's what community brings to the table. Oh, my God. Jewish tradition teaches that this choice was not based on merit or worthiness on Israel's part, but as an expression of God's grace and love. It was not meant to display superiority or exclusivity, like I'm in a club. All the famous people with me. Look who I'm singing with. Look who laid hands on me last night. I mean, we, I mean, did we just not see that we were chosen before any of those things took place in our life? We were always handpicked, given a destiny. Listen, 
Whatever people lay hands on you and activate was already there. The only thing I can do, how can I hear except the preacher preach, is grab your hand and take you further than where you are. Are you following? Mm. We got a lot of healing to do among us. Wow. We have been placed in the center of, of God's heart where we have a unique role and responsibility in his plan for humanity. This is just um, commentary from some Jewish beliefs. And according to Jewish tradition, God chose Israel to be a holy nation and a light to the world with a special mission to bring God's message and values to humanity. Guess what? We're all called. And at the bare bones, we're called to this. There's no such thing as I don't know what my calling is. What that says to me is I don't know. I haven't perfected my gift yet. I haven't figured out my specific lane or highway to walk down. I don't know exactly what it is that I'm supposed to do. Oh, I do all these things. I haven't settled on one. But this is the beauty of it. Sometimes people's calling is to do whatever they're doing at the moment. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. I'm telling you. We'll get into the specificities of it later. Be a light. I mean, be a light. Be a light. That's the first thing you need to do. Love. Be kind. Help somebody. I'm like, my goodness. But I want to have a grand show and I want an audience. But listen, I'm just sharing that difference with you, not to pick at anybody, but to show you how we shift our focus to the world versus to the simplicity of God. How dare anybody be shamed because all they want to do is feed the hungry and preach to people on the street. My God. Maybe you have, maybe God told you to open a salon. And all you're doing is praying for people and encouraging them as they sit in that chair getting their hair done. Walking out brand new and full of hope because you gave them hope while you were doing their hair. Are you me? We are all called. Maybe God told you to open a restaurant. Maybe he told you to uh, get a food truck and pitch a tent in a project. You never know what God's plan is for you. But if we look at the grandiose, skewed, twisted life of, of the world system, we'll think that there's only significance if we are visible and seen. If we're measuring up to the people we're comparing ourselves to. Last week, we talked about how horrible it is to compare ourselves with someone else. Oh, my God. It kills us, destroys our purpose. Oh, my goodness. I often talk about a couple of people that I knew who worked in hospice. And, they, you know, that's all they did. You know, they were drained at the end of the day. They would pray. But they were helping those people transition from this life to the next. Some people needed to forgive folks. Some people needed to, to forgive a family member they hadn't spoken to in 30 years and have them come visit so that family member could be free. 
are not what we think they are and you don't have to have a title to prove who you are. There are different kinds of callings. And then, you know, it hurts me when people in those types of positions will say to me, I've been doing this all my life. It's my passion. God told me to go become a nurse at a young age. And I just love working in the, in the critical care neonatal areas and with mothers who have complicated pregnancies. And, but I don't know my calling. But we've done that to them. Can you see it? They don't know any different. They're trying to balance man's message with the message of God. We need to get free. Some of us have been doing our ministry our whole lives and don't even know it. You think you need a pulpit, a line of people to prophesy to. Everyone has to walk out their specific measure. We're all chosen. How we present the light is as individual as we are in this room. But are we okay with it? Because the pride of life will cause us not to be okay with where we are. We don't want to be a doorkeeper. We're going to want what somebody else got. And that's the healing part. That's the heal. See, if you can heal that, oh, my God, who could change the world? Mother Teresa, one woman. One woman changed the world. Oh, my God. Being chosen is not something that can be earned or achieved through human effort, but a gift that carries a unique and special responsibility and purpose as those who are chosen are called to live in accordance with God's will and to fulfill his purposes. Our election matters. Now, the word, I always talk to people about, I'm probably ahead of myself, I don't know, but I, I normally tell people when you're studying the Bible, one word like, our English word chosen could have a range of meanings. So when you're reading scriptures, it's important to read the scripture in context because in context you'll see that this type of chosen, this general type of cho- being chosen that everybody has is not the only type of being chosen that exists in the Bible. There's another stream of chosen, the same um, Greek word that's used for chosen for general calling is also the word for another type of calling called a vocation. And that's where we're moving to in this teaching. We won't teach on vocation today, but vocation is something you see Jesus had. He had one line of sight, and that's all he did his entire time on earth. It was streamlined. Does that mean he was narrow-minded? Absolutely not. He, had, he was the one that had to push the button. Everybody can push the button. You follow what I mean? So we have to know and be able to distinguish the general, because you can go from the general calling of all of us being called and chosen into a specialization. Are you following? 
The specialization sometimes turns into a vocation. And in the natural world, a vocation is like a mastery, a dedicated course of study, a place that you learn to be the best carpenter and technical you can be. Nobody can touch your expertise because at that level, you're ready to mentor and to guide other carpenters. Are you following? But the Bible says that the teacher has a greater responsibility because now you're not just serving people and helping people in hospice, but now you are training and raising them up. You have control of their mind. It's not more important because I have a higher calling. You have a level of responsibility that you're going to answer for because you have the power to influence whether people turn left or right or whether they go backwards. Vocations are not for the weak and not for people who just desire it. It's for people. God chose Peter for the Jews, and he chose Paul for the Gentiles. Does it mean they couldn't cross? No. It just means they had a specialization of having their ear tuned to the needs of those people. Are you all following? See, that is what, how we should be teaching Ephesians 4.11 gifts. That's how we should be teaching hospitality. That's how we should be teaching anything pertaining to a gift. You know, I've seen people in the arts, which is why we do the conservatory, think that everybody's supposed to receive their gift. I've heard voices that sound like screeching cats. I would rather listen to someone who couldn't than the nastiness and the pride in someone who can because one, they both are filtering spiritually, but if it's a divine calling, you cannot mimic that with filth. Are you following me? Because we have callings, but divine callings is where we walk in. And everybody has something God has given them to do. But if you're ever over people in a position where you are influencing people, whatever art form you have, you are more accountable. Can somebody just find James 3, I believe, for me, and just read it out loud? You'll know what it is, um, something about those who are more highly, those who you, not, not everyone should want to be teachers. That passage of scripture, you can just shout it out when you get it. I don't have it here, and I'm afraid if I pull it up, I'll mess up my slides. <laughs> James 3 and 1, I believe. Go ahead. That's good. Let not many of you become teachers because you may receive a stricter judgment. Teaching is not just pulpit. If you're over an audience and you have the ear of thousands of people, hundreds of people, ten thousands, tens, you are supposed to be living in a way that is light-bearing. 
as to not mislead them because by default you have now become a teacher. Do you see why God said that now? Girl, you don't need to become a teacher. That's not that scripture. That scripture is literally talking about don't get up here and lead my people and you're going to lead them astray. By your life or by just bad teaching. Because God is concerned about the one as much as the multitudes. And if you're churning out sons of hell, which is what the Bible calls it, I'm not cussing. <laughs> it said, the scripture actually says, you run to and fro to win one proselyte and you turn him into a son, twice a son of hell as you are. That's scripture, a whole scripture and discourse. So if we don't know we're chosen and we think it's all about the gifts, then our whole ministry is dipped in gift gravy. We're pouring it on everything. That shit, that sound good. Mm. Don't eat that gravy. Scrape it off the top of those mashed potatoes. Are you following? Chosen people have a different standard. We cannot be like the standard of the world. And you can tell when that gravy ain't right. And in the spirit. <laughs> to be chosen is to be called, to have a divine calling. I'm going to give you a quick definition that I have here. A calling is a, is, is a divine invitation and summons to serve and other to serve, to serve God and other in a particular way. Let me say it a different way. A calling is divine. Divine means it's God origin. It's of his nature. It's of his existence beyond your life. Who God is when you're not looking. When you're not comprehending. So to say it's divine is to say it's beyond comprehension of my existence. It's a divine invitation and a summons to serve. Listen, that word serve, when you read it in the context of the ways it's used from old to new covenant, is about the fear of the Lord. It's more about the fear of the Lord than it is about your works and your activity. It's service as well as hospitality. It's your love and your kindness. It's your mercy and your grace. Divine callings, uh, listen, God's divine calling is to rebuild his family. It's divine. Well, he's already done that. We're walking it out, going through the motions. Is that clear for you? If you're online, if it's not clear, go ahead and, and just put it in the chat so we can address it um, to, to this evening or, or Tuesday, whichever. I want you to see this. Callings are given to all of us in a sense, in, in the sense of a divine purpose. Listen, this is important. We all have also a divine purpose or mission that goes beyond one's gift and talent. Not everybody, but that's the vocational area. That's the specialization. Now, you can have that in generalities, but the minute you step before a people, it changes. And I don't mean stepping before the people one time, but call to a people that are going to be following you around, 
not just following you around, but what's already exposing itself in you, guess what, is in them as well. We don't give people anything. There's impartation. But listen, we're only stirring up what God has already given. They're only coming to you because they need that awakened in them. And they need you to pull it out. Not just a gift, but identity, purpose. I'm getting to why I'm doing this in a minute. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. But please don't leave before I finish this next section. If you're online. This place of divine purpose and mission is selflessness. How do I know? Because it was unto death for Christ and it was unto death for the apostles. What are you doing that's unto death? What are you willing to do for God that will cost you your life? Vocation is very different. I'm one that will tell you in a minute, I'm called. And if on my deathbed, I will be doing this. If my life was threatened, it wouldn't stop me. Do you follow what I mean? No matter how tired and weary and overcome I am, I can't control it. The calling is calling all the time. And I'm like, stop. Please. But it won't stop. I can't control it. It's it's beyond me. Most people never experience that. Not in the faith. They don't give themselves over to God to a point where the switch turns on. It's not that it's not there. Their effort isn't. You have to build yourself into this. Now, if I had known it, I probably would have stopped. I'm just going to be real honest with you. This was not my design and not my intention. There are many things I'd rather be doing, but because I love God so much, I I will never disappoint him in all my effort if, if I can help it. My God, this has nothing to do with the spiritual gift, but longing, passion, desire, like a deer that panteth. David, man, the scripture tells us that God recognized David's love for him because this is how desperate David was, and David was a worshiper. Worship was his purpose. And as a result of that, he loved God so much that he broke through to a place that he could not be removed. He didn't care if he was singing to one person or thousands. He just didn't care because it was beyond him at that point. Man, he wasn't chasing fame and fortune because those things will burn up. What are you going to do when you're old and wrinkled up? You ain't doing that. (laughs) You're not. Everybody ages. I don't care how much cosmetic surgery you have, it won't last. And everybody in the arts industry has an expiration date. Just something to think about. (laughs) People are like, well, mama, you, oh, I've been where you are and will never go back. Don't ever want to be your age again. 
And when you're my age, you'll understand ain't nothing special. That back there that I want now, I wouldn't change anything for the mind that I have. Nothing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Divine purpose or mission in this sense goes beyond one's gift, talents, needs, feelings, wants, desires, occupation, or profession. Because all those things are going to grow up, are going to burn up. It's selfishness. They're going to fade away. It's but a vapor. This has nothing to do with a, um, I'm about to wrap up, I promise you. This has nothing to do with the spiritual gift. This is sacrificial service, reasonable service, your innate divine summons. What I love to help people identify is their inner summon. Because if you can hear that, if you can hear, if you can tap into that, it's a wrap. I know people that do nothing, but they were hearing the summons, hearing the summons. They stopped going to church. They stopped listening to the people that were feeding in their lives. They stopped reading the Bible. They stopped their heavenly language, and they stopped. They went no further. And even what they had, according to the parable, was taken away from them. You have to exercise. If there's one thing the apostles teach us is that you have to keep moving. All these breaks don't help. And then if you just get in a rut, it's just a rut. And people die in a rut. They never fulfill their full potential because God is a God that wants you to desire him. That's all he wants. If you are pursuing him, he will never slow down and pour it out to you. It hurts me when people ask me questions like, well, how did you get here? I cried my way here. I fought my way here. Every bad thing that happened, I turned to the word. I went to wise counts. I showed up where I could get prayer. I went to listen and study until all it broke through. Look, we understand that when it comes to weight training and dietary needs, that's why the spiritual, that's why the scripture tells us, and Paul dealt with the same thing. He said, exercise, nothing's wrong with exercise, but the spiritual exercise is what's more important. Then people try to tell you things like, man, well, you can't have a temple of, listen, I know the spirit that always trumps the flesh. Not saying your life's not shortened. <laughs> But it trumps the flesh. Are you following me? It trumps the flesh. Because at the end of the day, all God wants to know is that that apostolic mind can keep you in the game. And that you can overcome your worst moment. I mean, there, I've had many worst moments. Not a worst moment. It's just been so many. I, I, I just don't lost count. I just say I'm strong enough now that when something else happens, I do have the background. To be able to jump a little higher. Might be a half an inch. But I'm going to jump. Right? Not going to use, you know, you tell, change your inner thought life. Change your inner prayer life. Change the words that you speak over yourself. Gone. You live like that. Don't put that on me. I can't live in your world because that's death. And I'm moving from death to life. You're moving from life to death. We're on two different pages. I can't help you with that. It's hard enough keeping Teresa straight. 
Feel no responsibility for people trying to make you know them. No. Mm-mm. I need to come up and take a breath. Use your tools. Here we go. If we come to understand what differentiates the many are called and few are chosen, aspects of Matthew 23, but not everyone is called toward the same level or capacity of work or will have equal levels of capacity or authority. You see, it is the responsibility of everyone who has entered sonship to serve after the heart of Jesus and all that they do. That's what being called and chosen means. This is without exception and proof of maturity at our foundations. You can gain the whole world and lose your soul. I promise you, that's what we're looking at many times. People who have gained everything that the world can give and nothing that the Spirit has to offer. Oh, my God. Loving God and loving one another is for everyone. The foundations of every summons is simply love. Remember, God's plan is eternally focused. Spiritual gifts nor natural gifts are callings. They are not callings. They are tools or the means to help us fulfill our callings. I will fight anybody who tells me otherwise. If that was the case, why was God pleased with Jesus before he ever started his ministry? Before anybody ever universally called him rabbi or teacher? For example, we learn from Dr. K that Jesus' ultimate calling was to restore eternal life. What was lost in the garden. Remember, eternal intention is the restoration of God's family of all things, not just you knowing you're a prophet. I want to share a few scriptures with you. I'm I'm taking just a tad bit longer than normal because I really feel like we have some confusing things going on. I'm not going to read that because I don't think that's the right scripture, but I'm going to go by the spirit. But Jesus said, people say, well, Jesus came to um, um, free people of sin. He did. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Yes, he did. Jesus came that we, I mean, there's a, there's probably 50 reasons why Jesus came, but all of those lead to one intention that we share in eternal life. That's eternal intention. No reason trumps what he came to restore, what was lost in the garden. And we are all where whatever ministry you think you have, if it's not leading to eternal intention, it's your ministry and not God's. That's why the Bible say, commit your works to the Lord. It says, callings have become about people today, not about God. This is why I'm doing this. When I ask people about their calling, they tell me what they do, not how they serve. If you ask them to define a calling, you will get titles and explanations and experiences and dreams and visions and strange fire prophecies. If you ask them how they serve, they will share their business with you or tell you that you can get coaching from them. If you ask them what they are called to do, again, they will give you a list of things they've published, they've created, things that they have done. 
If you ask them about the people they serve, they tell you of works and where they've traveled and where they've been and who they've ministered with. If you ask them to define the gospel, they might not even know what that is. That is the world in sheep's clothing. It's the world in sheep's clothing. My God, what did God cause you to do? Well, I'm starting this training for Christians. I said, no, that's your business. What did God call you to do? Well, I feel like he wants me to help people publish their books. No. What did God call you to do? Well, I had a dream of being in an art gallery with all. No. What did God call you to do? To sing to millions? No. Do you see the problem? Oh, my God. The Bible says that the birds of the air know their purpose. But my people do not know who they are. Because to them, callings is nothing but performance. We were chosen for him. Oh, my God. But we like, well, they made me mad in church, so I ain't never going to another one. How sad. Well, I'm too scared to preach. How sad. I don't want to be a pastor. How sad. Your life is but a vapor. We only have one time, one chance, and you're going to put it in the trash because you don't feel like it? This is the state of most people that come to me for mentorship. I cannot help you. You need a pastor. And you need to read your Bible and pray. And you need to sit somewhere until you can break through to a higher mind. This mind that is, being, that is in Christ Jesus being you. We were chosen for him. How you counsel people and you're trying to help them move forward in ministry, but all they want to do is be big and get mad at you. Well, you're missing God because you're not, you're not doing, I'm not missing God. I don't want that. I'd rather pour my life into 15 people than have thousands listening to me and doing nothing with it. I'm telling you, the best thing I can do is duplicate myself. Multiply. We're closing. Last scripture. Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, but they were not willing to come. I'm speaking to those people today. You're invited, but will you come? Well, I want to go to this concert, but ministry is today, church is today. Well, I want to do something fun. Well, learn to learn to love the word. That's fine. Get a love for him. I'm too tired, but you might not wake up tomorrow. Why don't you give yourself an opportunity today? I mean, 
Jesus will show up tomorrow. Yeah, he is going to show up for eternity, but you might not. (laughs) I mean, don't you know that you can have joy, you can have life more abundantly? It says they were not willing to come. They came through the door, but they stood at the entrance. Again, he sent out other servants saying, please tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared a dinner. My oxen and fat and my cattle, they are killed and everything is ready. God has given us everything. The scripture says Christ has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. Everything. We just read all the scriptures about being chosen. He said, come to the wedding. Marry me. Marry me. But they started laughing and joking. I ain't coming. I got something better to do. I'm not coming. The door opened. Your life's about to be saved. Miracles are waiting. Signs are coming. You're about to get in the mind of Christ like you never have before. Healing is before you. But oh my God, you tired. You tired. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. God is not doing that today, okay? That's just an example. Here in the parable, we're not teaching that because we have a better way. We understand the Bible differently. Verse 7, it says, But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Listen, the worthiness is not based on the life you had before salvation. You're not a dirty rag because that's been forgiven. It has nothing. Your worthiness has nothing to do with you personally. Your worthiness is your heart condition toward the Lord. That's what determines your worthiness, your motivations. (laughs) That's all that matters. Don't matter how many men you slept with. Don't matter. I mean, if you repent it, it's a done deal. Are you following me? Doesn't matter how many women you've been with. No matter if you burned down a building 50 years ago and nobody knew about it. God saw it. God is talking about heart posture. That's why he could turn Saul's life around into Paul's life. Like that. Now it took about 14, 15 years, (laughs) but he did it. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you can find, invite them to the wedding. He said, Invite, right? Invite, not fight. Invite them to the wedding. He said, Invite, not beat, accuse, mistreat, abandon, picket. He said, invite, not to your church. I'm not talking about that kind of invitation. He said, invite them. I want to invite you to a party, the best time in your life you will ever have. I want to invite you to a party that can heal you of everything you've been through. I want to invite you to a hope that you have never. He's talking that kind of invitation. That's the invitation. Oh, my God. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad. What? What? Both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he 
saw a man there who had, did not have on his wedding garments. There's always somebody still not going to get dressed. There's always somebody. Heart went right. Came, but you came begrudgingly. You came, but you came out of anger and frustration because you had to come or you felt pressure. I mean, all the wrong motivations. So he said to him, friend, how did you even come in here without a garment, without the right heart posture? And the guy was speechless. I'm sure he was. How dare you going to confront me and ask me why I came to get some food? Then you put, see, you can see the attitude wrong. Oh, my God. Then the king said to the servants, bind him. <laughs> In other words, we're just going to relegate that to a reprobate mind. But listen, verse 14, for many a call, but few are chosen. We are all called. But along the way, people fall in different pits and holes. And they make no effort to get out. Are you, are you following? They develop mindsets and anger and pity parties that they can't move past. They find every reason to pursue the world who they love over pursuing God. It's not God's fault that people don't process and go further spiritually because we're all called to walk in the mind of Christ. All of us. People are where they are because of their own decisions. But we're chosen for him. We're chosen for him. We're chosen for him. How dare us want a spiritual gift and not understand what it means to be chosen? What kind of people are we that we come right out of the womb and start a business talking about we have a ministry, but you've never served, and you do everything that benefits you? There is nothing you're doing that benefits anybody else. Whole string of ministry activities, and all of them served only you. See people like this every day. God called me to sing, and you only serve yourself. When the last time you sang through a nursing home? When the last time you gave your gift to somebody worthy of it? But no, you out there doing your gift with everybody who can pay you and give you accolades because in your mind, they're big. You don't even understand weight in the realm of the spirit. How sad. I've been places. Some of you have been with me. I sit down, mind my business. People walk up to me and they say, no, I can see your authority. I can see who you are in the realm of the spirit. And I'm like, but I'm doing nothing. I'm literally trying to mind my own business. No, we need you to speak. Can you just get up and start? I'm like, no. Listen, that's what God wants to do. Because in the realm of the spirit, you appear where you are needed. Not just where you want to be. Doors of opportunity open up like that. Not because of your weird, strange networking efforts. Can't stand networking. Because of what we've turned it into. Now I'll go if by divine inspiration the Lord says go. Because I know it's going to be more than just some people hopping around trying to make a dollar. We have to recognize that we're in the kingdom over here. <laughs> Not in the world system. Amen. Well, just um, if you're at home and you're listening, 
we're just going to pray. I want you to just stand with me. And we're going to pray. We need to pray some of this off today. Not long. I'm not going to keep you long. But we need to really hear God in this area. Just stand where you are. You don't have to come down here. But we just need to get rid of some of this stuff that's been on us. We need to break fellowship with the world. And we need to declare that we are among the chosen. Amen. So I am among the chosen. I am among the chosen. I am among the chosen. I just want you to reflect right now in your hearts. And I want you to just begin to repent of anything that the Lord has revealed to you today. Don't be afraid to say to him, Lord God, I have been following the world system, the plans of men. I have been following my own ideas and my own processes. And they've worked to give me what I have wanted. They've worked to give me the clout and the accolades before men. But they have not given me what I need in my heart, God. Lord, I I know I want these things. And I know you want some of these things for me, but in a different way. God, you want me in a position where I am not elevating people above you. Where I am not laying out my plans and my purposes according to what is beneficial for my own twisted motivations. Lord, I understand that I'm gifted. I understand that I am beyond gifted in some areas, but those are your gifts and you have anointed me to do that. And Lord, I repent for elevating those things and thinking that they define me. I now know that I'm not defined by my callings and my giftings, especially as a creative. Especially in the creative realm, God, I cry out to you. I've allowed this world to rest on me. I've allowed my eyes to give me my garments. I've allowed myself to compare myself against others. And I have lost my way, God. I've longed after material things and influence. I've longed to sit with who I deem to be great. Not understanding that greatness is a spiritual posture in the eyes of God. Jesus said to John the Immerser, he said, listen, there is none greater than John the Immerser. But all he did was walk the streets, cry out a message of repentance, carry a few along with him. He didn't have the kings in the way that the old prophets had. He didn't have the audience that the old prophets had, but he he understood his assignment was to clear the way. And it was enough to clear the way in the city where he was planted. He didn't have to travel the world. It was enough there to prepare the world for what was coming. And Jesus said, there was none greater than John the Immerser. He didn't have a whole lot of words. He didn't have volumes and volumes of books and all of the things that people value today. 
But what he did have was a love for Jesus. Father, if that is us, touch our hearts right now. Touch our hearts right now, God. Touch our hearts. My God, touch our hearts. Yoke us, God, with people who care about the kingdom for real. Yoke us with people, God, who have callings for businesses, callings for salons and callings for bakeries, callings for lawn services, callings for clothing lines, callings for music, callings for production, but who understand why they are called and why they are chosen. Raise them up, God. Raise them up, God. This is what the highways and the byways that the old people used to talk about look like. Let's set up the art exhibit where they pray for people. Where their art touches people so deeply that they weep at the picture and the image. And even if the person never acknowledges the artist, let the artist stay there in intercession and in prayer. Father, we speak to the poet, the poet who's longing for concerts, the poets who can't speak anywhere except there's a $10 deposit. Father, let them see that you gave them those gifts and that they should be willing to go wherever you declare them to go. We thank God for the big pocketbooks. But let them not forget from where they've come. Father, we're not talking about a poverty mindset. Father, if we think we have to have payment for everything that we do, God, heal us. Heal us if we believe that we, our worth is more important than a person's need. God, heal us. If we believe, God, that someone is lower than us because they don't have the followers or the audiences, Heal us. If their desire is popularity, if their desire is, is fame, Lord, heal them because that's not you. You can do that for them. But when you do it, God, it'll be because of the influence of you that they carry, that they be light in darkness. Father, I pray that you do not send us out or allow us to be sent out unprepared. But rather we will be sheep as you describe them in your word who can stand among the wolves. Heal us, Father. Father, we forgive those who taught us a wrong Christianity, a wrong faith. Lord, we ask that you forgive us for blaming you for a lack of what we consider success versus what you define success as. Father, your word says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and these other things will come. That's the message that was preached today among the chosen who should already know that message. God, we have to teach first works now. We shouldn't have to do this. 
Paul said, but you, I still have to give you milk because you can't tolerate the meat. Father, we declare in the name of Jesus that you minister to our souls. There's no condemnation. Just redirection, conviction and redirection. You're enough, God. You're enough. This world is so full of noise. But we are to, I hear the Lord saying that this is the time that we need to really fill ourselves with the knowledge of him. The knowledge of him. A comprehensive knowledge of him. So that we will know the truth from a lie. A lot of people love God, but, but they're lost. A true definition of lost sheep. Lost. And it's not relegated to, to people, or we're speaking to people in ministry. People with churches, people with successful businesses that don't get this part. They, that's why, Lord, you always say that, you know, a, if a rich man can give up everything he has for you, there's an understanding and a revelation that he has achieved. He's been able to see what's really important. But that young ruler that couldn't give away his stuff, he missed an opportunity to be a disciple and have eternal life. Oh my God, it doesn't mean giving up like I'm throwing it in the trash. It means that you are exchanging and you're making it better. Father, minister to us as only you can. Minister to us, God. I'm just going to be silent for about two minutes. to know what the next step is, but we're ready for you to teach us afresh. We're ready for you to show us who you really are. We're ready for you to help us grow deep roots and to rise up in you. We're ready for you to remove religious constructs and ideas 
we're ready for you to separate the teaching of people from the teaching of your word. We're asking you to really give us an ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying concerning our purpose, our destiny, our calling. Father, we're declaring that our children will not have this struggle. We pray over the children in the conservatory, Lord, especially those very young. We pray that they will know a purity of the word despite the noise that is all around them. We pray, Father, that even as they enter the school system in this new year, that you're guarding their environments and guarding their atmospheres, that you're causing them to become acutely aware of the, the prophetic realm of Holy Spirit. Father, you're causing them to ask questions about things that they see and things that they hear so that they can garner the wisdom at their young age. And I, I thank you for anointing parents and caregivers and those who love them to be able to answer in a way that these children will understand. I pray, Father, that your influence over them is far greater than the influence of this world. Father, we release our children, Father, to never be afraid to ask questions about you and to, for us to never be afraid to give our children answers that cause them to be thinkers, not just blind followers. Father, we pray that this generation, God, will turn to the things in the realm of technology that will help them enhance the kingdom, help them move the kingdom forward that they would be forward thinkers, not bound by religion and tradition that largely spend this time rebuking and cussing everything it doesn't understand. Father, we're asking you, God, to do some of these things that I just prayed in some of your adults, Lord. People in stagnated places, people stuck, people who just never did another thing because of one bad day. Father, I want to have the best life you have for me. I want to laugh and love and live in your word. We want to do this in your word, in your will, in your way. Lord, I, I, I ask for forgiveness. We all ask for forgiveness for just being misled, God. We believe people had the best interests for us. But they could.